Good morning, everyone. Want to uh, play a game of let's pretend this morning, all right? Let's pretend. I'm going to make it personal. Let's pretend that one day I decide to step away from preaching and begin a life of ranching, okay? I'd be lying if I didn't admit that there weren't days that I hadn't actually thought about that, okay? <laughs> right? But let's pretend I just decide to give it a go. And so I go out and take a really big loan. Have to be really big, right? Really big loan. I'm going to go find me some land. I'm going to buy me some cattle. And let's decide I decide to, to breed and raise these cattle for beef production. Now, keep in mind, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no training, no experience. And so it would be absolutely foolish for me to go out there and try to give this a go on my own, especially when I have an expert in my presence like Clark Wood who could literally show me the ropes, right? Why would I do that? Why would I go out for, for years stumbling around trying to un, un, undo all my mistakes when I have someone who could show me how to do it right the first time? If you can understand that little scenario, you can understand the gift of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is trying to show us the way. Instead of launching into life, trying to figure out things on your own, he wants to show you the way. Instead of spending your life working out all your mistakes, he actually wants you to learn from his. He's a student of humanity. He's using his God-given wisdom to explore the depths of of the human heart. In fact, there's not a question that you might ask about life that he hasn't already considered. And not just considered. As we've seen, Solomon is actually putting it to the test, right? He's employing it into his life. He's learning from his own personal experience, and not just his experience, the experience of those around him as well. Ecclesiastes is a gift because it gives us an understanding through the experience of someone else. See, everyone here this morning, like Solomon, is on a quest for truth to a person. Everyone here this morning is trying to grow in their understanding of what it means to live a happy and fulfilling life. Solomon is doing us a favor by narrowing our search. He's eliminating some possible options. This morning, he's going to give us another possible pursuit, the pursuit of worldly pleasure. Since knowledge and intellect left him with no satisfying answers, he stops and says, well, might as well have fun. Might as well see if just going out and doing whatever my heart desires, will that make my life complete? Will that fill the void? Is that the answer I'm looking for? So let me encourage you this morning. Instead of just charting a course through life, trying to figure it out on your own, maybe stop for a minute this morning and listen to what Solomon has to say and see if it might redirect your course. See if there's something that you might learn from him that impacts how you live. So before we look at the word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we admit corporately, individually, 
like we sang this morning, we are prone to wonder. We are inclined towards independence, trying to figure it out on our own. We've got this. And yet most of us in this room have lived enough of life to be honest and admit, no, we don't. There are things that we are searching for that we have come up empty with. So, Lord, like Solomon, we too are searching for answers. We're looking for something that satisfies the very depth of our soul. So, Lord, would you please use our time this morning to lead us to those answers? Will you help us understand what that looks like in our life today? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, and we'll just pick up where we left off last. Wisdom and knowledge left him with no satisfying answers. So, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. Again, since knowledge and intellect left him feeling empty, maybe pleasure would fill the void. Solomon describes it as, coming to a place where he says, maybe I just need to loosen up. You know, just kind of live life. Quit taking life so seriously. Maybe maybe if I just lighten up a little bit, I'll find the answers a little better. So he shifts directions. But I want you to keep in mind that he's still on the very same pursuit. He's still on a quest for truth. He's still searching for the answer to a happy and fulfilling life. In fact, in verse 1, he says, so I said to myself, or more literally, it should be translated, or I said to my heart. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm looking for something that's deep down in my soul, a soul-satisfying truth. So I said to my heart. Solomon is on a search for something that satisfies his soul. Notice he says to his heart, I will test you. I will test you. He's looking for an answer that removes that longing for something more, which up to this point, everything he's tried has come to that same conclusion, hasn't it? It's something more. It just doesn't quite fill the void. He's conducting an experiment. But now he's turning to a new set of variables. And in this experiment... Personal happiness becomes his primary goal. And as we'll see, the passage that we'll look at this morning is filled with personal pronouns. Me, myself, and I. In fact, you can count them because I did. There are over 50 in these 17 verses. 50 personal pronouns. So when Solomon says, enjoy yourself, we should take it very literally because that's exactly what he does. He wants to find out, if I could have all that my heart desires, 
would it make my life complete? Think about that. Listen again. If I could have all that my heart desires, would it make my life complete? Now, we need to pause there and consider that question because there is not a person in this room who has not asked that question themselves. At varying levels, we have all looked to enjoyment to find fulfillment. And it doesn't have to be sinful things, all those, those are included, as we will soon see. It can be very good things like marriage, like family, like nature, like travel. Can any of these worldly pleasures make your life complete? Is that what you're missing? Every person in this room at some point or another has asked themselves that question and tried to fill that void accordingly. But even before he gets into the details of what he experienced, he gives us the answer. Will it make my life complete? Solomon says, no. No, it won't. Just like worldly wisdom, worldly pleasure leaves you longing for something more. The experience reveals what I call the law of diminishing return, which says that the more you have, the less enjoyable it becomes. And we're going to see that being lived out in Solomon's life. He says that even laughter turns to madness. Now, madness here is not intended to refer to insanity as much as it is moral depravity. What Solomon is saying is that worldly humor is often bent towards depravity. That we are easily entertained by what should be considered shameful. It doesn't take us very long to figure that out, does it? I mean, just think about the average sitcom or YouTube video. Pick your, make your choice. But most of these we watch because they make us laugh. But they often use humor that is derogatory, that's demeaning. It's funny to see someone else look foolish. We laugh at jokes that should are about things that should be otherwise held sacred. Solomon is saying, look, if that's what makes you happy, if that's what makes you laugh, then it should tell you that something's wrong. If our heart is humored by what is profane, then something is wrong with our heart. But we have strategies to take the edge off, don't we? We use substances to enhance the enjoyment. Solomon says that he used wine to remove his inhibitions. He, he says he used it to give him the freedom to take hold of folly was the term that he used. Employed to enhance the experience of our enjoyment. We see it happening all around our world today. In fact, I cannot think of very many entertainment values that exist in the world today that don't involve alcohol. I mean, what was the big news in Lubbock, Texas this year? Beer sales at the football game. Woohoo! I mean, it's big news. And baseball. And basketball. And the golf course. And the bowling alley. And the movie theater. There's hardly an entertainment venue in the world today that isn't enhanced by the promise of pleasure through alcohol. But Solomon 
He's on a quest and he's got to figure it out for himself. He realizes, look, life is short. And so let's see if we can find satisfaction through worldly pleasure. But even in the midst of his fun, it's really important for us to understand, in this pursuit, he never, he never lets go, he never forfeits the wisdom with which to discern. He wants to see if enjoyment will lead to fulfillment, and he will be wise as he learns through this experience to be honest with the outcomes. So look at what he says beginning in verse 4. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself, made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had homeborn slaves, and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in all Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. So, again, did you see the repeating pronouns, right? I built, for, I built houses for myself, <laughs> gardens for myself, parks, pools of water, irrigated forests for myself. And do you notice that all of these things were plural? He didn't say, I built a house. He says, I built houses. He didn't build a park. He built parks. Solomon is looking to be satisfied by an abundant supply. Let me summarize his pursuits in two specific categories. The first one is his projects. The second one are his possessions. So his projects and his possessions. We'll start with his projects first. And that's important because we are all to understand at some level the enjoyment of completing a project, right? We recently did a kitchen remodel. And one of the finishing touches of our remodel was a mahogany top that I made for the island in our kitchen. And I'm not ashamed to admit it is beautiful, <laughs> right? It is one of the few projects that I've ever done that actually turned out better than I expected it to, right? And, and every time I look at that, I mean, it just, oh, I built that. It makes me feel good, right? But you're probably the same way with projects like you enjoy. Some of you are gardeners. How rewarding is it after you've planted something to then harvest its fruit? Some of you like to take old cars, and it's very rewarding to, to bring back the old classic, bring it back to life. We all, at some level, understand the reward of completing a project. Now, can you imagine how pleasing it would be if you had unlimited resources to bring your dreams to life? Solomon, for example, as we talked about last week, had seven years to build a temple. And it's an architectural wonder, right? We said by today's standards, it's in the billions of dollars because of its ornate uh, craftsmanship, its covering in gold. 
seven years to build the temple. 13 years to build his palace. Twice as long. Can you imagine what that place must have been like? He surrounded that palace with vineyards and gardens. There were fruit trees. There were ponds of water. There was an irrigated forest. I mean, this is the Garden of Eden without the forbidden fruit. Solomon created his own private sanctuary, a place where he could escape when life was crazy, a safe place of exquisite beauty. Can you imagine having a home like that and walking out your back door into a place like that? But not only did he have projects, he also had possessions. He had male and female servants, probably the necessary workforce to actually carry out his projects. He had them do everything that he didn't personally delight in himself. And if you're going to have that many servants to carry out that much work, you need to have plenty of food. So he had flocks and herds, an abundant supply of food and clothing. The trade routes, as we talked about last week, that passed through that land bridge of Israel were a constant supply of income for Solomon, which is why he amassed a huge amount of silver and gold for himself. Money was no object in his pursuit of pleasure and personal fulfillment. He had singers, personal singers, who could help comfort him with Song. He had concubines who would comfort him with a, a loving embrace. In fact, 1 Kings 11.3 tells us he had, get this, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a craziness right there. I mean, what is the man thinking? Now, what's interesting is it describes the wives as wives of royal birth which tells us something about the magnitude of his alliances because many of the alliances that he would have formed politically were secured through marriage. These are daughters of kings and people of influence, and many of those wives would have been chosen for himself, but the concubines were his own personal choice. But even in that abundance, in the end, it never satisfied his heart. It wasn't enough. It's the law of diminishing returns. The more you have, the less satisfying it becomes. He was denied no project, no possession, no personal pleasure. He was pleased in that moment. The question is, how long would it last? Well, there's the answer in verse 11. Look at that with me. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, here's the answer, all was vanity, and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. Apparently, it didn't last very long. The satisfying answer was elusive. It was mysterious. It was impossible to get his arms around. No matter how much Solomon acquired, it never was enough. In fact, the more he had, the less fulfilling it became. It reminds me of the enjoyment of eating cotton candy, right? Everybody loves a little cotton candy. It's 
pure deliciousness in a bite. But as soon as you put it in the mouth, it instantly disappears. And so if you want to prolong the enjoyment, you just got to keep eating more and more and more until eventually you're absolutely sick. (laughs) Well, that's where we find Solomon. More and more and more, never satisfying, instantly gone until he's miserable. Look at how he continues in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? In other words, who else can do anything that I haven't already tried? Verse 13, And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I know that one fate befalls them both. So, like a good scientist, Solomon sits down and considers the results of his experiment. He examines all the data from every possible angle of worldly pleasures that he experienced. Not just in his own experience, he was a student of humanity. He compared his experience with those that lived around him. And even though he could not come up with a satisfying answer, like that cotton candy, it was delicious for the moment and then instantly gone, he says, well, at least one thing I do know to be true. Wisdom is better than folly. In the same way that light is better than darkness. I want you to think about that for a minute. How is light better than darkness? Well, if you think about it, it's hard to find your way around in a dark room, right? When you can't see around, you end up stumbling over things. You get lost. You don't know where you're at. You have no sense of direction. You could be walking in circles, and you would never know it. At least in the light, you know when you're lost. You have some kind of awareness of where you've been, where you're going. Solomon is saying that a life of folly... It's like walking in darkness, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Wisdom is at least willing to admit, okay, been there, done that, didn't work. Those who are wise live by the light of their experience. Fools remain lost in the darkness of their deception. I want you to think about trying to find your way around in a dark room. We've all been there for whatever reason, and when you do, uh, it's hard to navigate. And so, since you can't see, what do you do? You feel. Well, the same is true for the fool. If it feels good, do it. At least the wise man has eyes in his head so that he can think about what he's doing. The fool lives by emotion by what they feel in the moment. And yet Solomon, as he comes to this somewhat awareness of at least wisdom is better than folly, he then comes to the reality, but they both end the same way. Look at how he continues in verse 15. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Remember the wisest man who ever lived. Why then have I become extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. 
And how will the wise man and the fool alike die? So I hated life, for the work which I had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. As if you couldn't tell, Solomon is somewhat exasperated. He's sick. He's miserable. He's had so much of this instantly disappearing pleasure that he cannot stand it. He's convinced that wisdom is better than folly, but eventually the wise man and the fool both end up in the grave. Death becomes the great equalizer. Reminds me of a lesson Alexander the Great learned from... uh, Alexander the Great learned from one of his friends as they stood staring intently over a pile of bones. Alexander looked to his friend and says, what are you looking at? His friend replied, well, I'm searching for the bones of your father, Philip, but I can't seem to distinguish them from the bones of the slaves. It doesn't matter how great you are in life because it all evens out in the grave. Which is why Solomon cried out in despair. I hate life. Because the grave robbed him of all of life's pleasure. He's learned that life, like pleasure, is a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. I want you to just pause there for a minute and let that sink in. Don't be foolish and continue running through life with your eyes closed. Please, at least for the moment, learn from the lessons of Solomon. Because whatever you're chasing, whatever promises to be fulfilling, will ultimately end in despair. Let Solomon's honesty resonate in your soul. Let the reality of death cause you to think honestly about your life. See, Solomon's doing us a favor. And if you'll look real closely, he's leading us to the gospel. It's there. For example, last week he talked about this common affliction. This affliction that we all share with one another, this part of us that's crooked, (laughs) that cannot be made straight. He talks about how there's a void. There's something missing. And and that's true for every person who has ever lived. And, as is also true, nothing in this world can ever satisfy that void. It never fills it. It never leaves us to a place where we're not somehow longing for something more. In fact, all creation is subjected to futility. And that futility is the result of sin. That's the terminal disease that inevitably affects all of mankind. It is the unescapable reality that leads to death for both the wise man and the fool. This is what Solomon is learning and what he is teaching, but I need you to understand that he is not telling us anything that the Bible has not already made crystal clear. You see, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There it is. That's the common affliction. That's what's crooked and can't be made straight. 
It goes on and says that the wages of sin is death. There it is, the inevitable outcome. The reality that no one in this room will ever be able to escape. This is Solomon's conclusion, and he's right. But Solomon's search is pointing us to an answer that's not under the sun. Remember, that's where his frustration lies. He's looking at life in this world, and he's saying, there is not a satisfying answer here, no matter where he turns. He's pointing us to an eternal truth, a truth that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the soul-satisfying answer that Solomon is ultimately looking for. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross to cure the disease of sin. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus died. He entered the grave. They sealed the tomb. He experienced a reality that every single one of us will face. But here's the difference. He knew a way out. Christ alone has the power to overcome the grave. And that's only true for us when we put our trust in Him. We have to be made alive together with Christ. We have to be saved by faith in what He accomplished that we could have never accomplished on our own. Now, if that's what you believe about death, if that's where you've placed your faith, would you agree with me that it should change, it should impact, it should somehow influence how you live? If that's what you believe about death, because listen, if it's the alternative, if this life is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry. But if there's more to it than that, if there's life beyond the grave, if there is one who came to make a way, wouldn't it impact how we live? This week I was reminded of a really simple yet profound truth. And I want to close with this. So if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I believe this verse is one of the examples in Scripture that points as to the deeper joy that our heart desires. Okay, we're all on a quest for truth. We're all searching for a soul-satisfying answer. And this is one of many places in Scripture where you will find that answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, I want you to think of that verse in light of Solomon's quest, okay? A quest in which he's pursued all kinds of avenues and what has been the common result. They've all left him longing for something more. But look again at this verse. It says that all things, at all times, you will have all you need. Everything in the world left Solomon feeling empty, but when you walk with God through faith in Christ, your life is made complete. His grace is abundant. 
has been lavished upon you so that you have all things for every situation, for all time. Now, this doesn't describe someone who's longing for something more, does it? Do you see the difference here? Solomon's saying, vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. It's leaving me longing for something more. There is no soul-satisfying answer under the sun. But then Paul is directing to where the answer is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, look, when you found that, you found what your heart longs for most. And it will provide for you all things in all situations for all time. And you will not long for something more. It will be enough. And so I pray that this week, as you go about your week, and there will be plenty of opportunities to pursue different paths, and they will all promise to satisfy your soul, that you look at each and every one of them and you say, no, you won't. I've learned from Solomon, I'm not going down that road. But what I will do is I will sit in the presence of a holy God through a personal faith in Jesus Christ, and my soul will be satisfied. And I will live in that assurance all the days of my life. And in that day, when that reality of death comes my way, I don't lose anything. But I gain everything. Because He has made a way. Amen? So as we finish singing this morning, I pray that those truths resonate in your soul. So if you would, please stand and let's uh, close with this song. So today is my birthday. I turned 52, and so what that tells me is I have less life ahead of me than I have behind me. feel certain of that. But one of the things that it reminds me of on a day like today is some of the truths that we talked about this morning. I've spent a lot of my life chasing pleasures that promise to satisfy I've spent a lot of my life seeking accomplishments and value from worldly success. And like Solomon, I can tell you, they leave you feeling empty because I've felt it in my own heart. I count all things that I have ever gained as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is a, it is a surpassing value among greater than all other things that you could possibly pursue in life. And so I pray that this morning as we think about all the possible paths you can take trying to look for answers, that you would stop if not just for a brief moment this morning and realize that the answer has been presented to you, made clear and evident in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I can assure you that when you have found Him, you are willing to leave anything else that promises to satisfy because you believe in your heart that He's enough. And you can be in any situation in your life, no matter how hard it can be, and He is sufficient. Now, I understand, because I've lived 52 years now, that we need to be reminded of that. And so, my best birthday gift is being right here with you. Because you remind me of these truths so that I can stay focused on what God has promised 
and live faithfully alongside of you pursuing the right things. So just let me encourage you to go out of this day with a commitment to ensure that you are on the right path to the only place that will satisfy your soul, which ultimately is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So I pray that you live that faithfully today. Have a great day.